Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording part two of the Connecticut River Valley Killer. Yep. Is it Connecticut River Valley or Connecticut Valley River? I think I've been saying it different. Sure, whatever you want. (laughs) Whatever you want it to be. Okay, so sorry if I've been saying it differently. I just realized I I might have been saying it wrong. I don't know. Yeah, hopefully everybody had a good week. Yeah. Sorry, you've had to wait a whole week for the second episode to come out. I know. We hate that. I'm sorry. I hate I'm that always way. like, what? A two-parter when I'm listening to a podcast? But it happens every once in a while, and we want to make sure that all of our episodes are not overly long. I feel like anything longer than an hour, and it's too much. Oh, at the end of this episode, there may or may not be some tangents. Yeah, some things that I removed from the actual episode and put at the end so you guys don't have to listen to it if you don't want to. Um, or you can listen to us ramble on either way. Or you, I don't rem- even remember what we were rambling on I don't on know about, either, but it's but there. It's we, definitely going to be there. We did some rambling this week. Uh, I think we talked about allergies and food. Food, no. yeah. But, listen to it if you want. I'm pretty funny. <laughs> Madison thinks she's really funny. But I'd like to do a poll on that. Anything like that, I'm trying to keep at the end of the episode. So I don't know if you guys have noticed there have been a few things at the end. Like after we say our goodbye. Uh, If you haven't noticed that, then you're probably stopping it before it gets to that. So um, you can go back and check it out if you want. But anything... Any really long conversations or entertaining, yeah, or tangents that we go off on. Sometimes it's just me swearing at Madison. I've just been trying to move it to the end so that it doesn't disrupt the episode as much. So be looking for those. It's exciting. And Phoenix goes at the end a lot too. So Phoenix interruptions, I've been moving to the end as well because she does not interrupt at good times. Are you done yawning? Even your yawns are loud. Jesus, my bad. But we're going to get back to it. So hopefully you guys enjoy this part two. And here we go. Here we go. Now we're going to jump up to 1988. So on August 6th, Jane Borowski, I think is how you would pronounce that. She's 22 years old. She's seven months pregnant. So she's driving home from a county fair in Keene, New Hampshire. She had been fighting with her boyfriend. They were actually separated at the time that this happened. She went to the fair to try to cheer herself up. And she won some stuffed animals there that she was going to give to her baby. She stopped at a closed market to get a drink out of a vending machine that was outside the store. So the market itself was closed, but they had a vending machine on the outside that she was like, oh, I'm going to stop and get myself something to drink. Maybe she was tired. It was kind of late at this point. So she gets herself a Coke. So this is in West Swainsey, I think it's called, the town. So after she gets back in her car, a Jeep Wagoneer had parked behind her. And a man was all of a sudden outside her window asking about whether or not the payphone was working. Because there's also a payphone there. I'm sorry. If anyone walks up to me and asks me a question, I'm going to look at them and be like, how? Well, she didn't even have time because he immediately ripped open her door. To attack her. Oh my god. He pulled her from her vehicle, or he, so he started trying to pull her from her vehicle, telling her to come with him. 
She screamed that she was pregnant, which he did not seem to care about. And she actually broke her car window trying to fight and get away from him. He then said, all right, if you're going to be like that, and he pulled out a knife. He told her to get out of the car or he was going to cut her. So she got out of the car and he held the knife to her throat. He accused her of beating up his girlfriend. Yeah, and this is not the only strange thing that happens in this encounter, but it's very, very strange. He asked her if she had Massachusetts plates and she said no, that they were from New Hampshire. But he didn't seem to care. Why is he asking her what kind of license plate I she has? I have no I'm idea. I'm really confused. It's so confusing. So she takes this opportunity. So he kind of like stepped away a little bit. She thought he was going to look at the license plate. So she took that opportunity to take off running. She said that as she was running, she was trying to scream, but nothing was coming out. Which, by the way, if I ever have a nightmare where yeah. I'm trying to scream in my nightmare, nothing comes out. But I will actually scream in real life. Fun fact about me and my sleeping habits. So in my dream, I'm trying to scream, but no sound is coming out. But in real life, I'm screaming bloody murder. I can't do anything in my dreams either. I can't fight back. I can't run and I can't scream. I think that's probably common when people are scared. Trying to scream while you're running maybe is probably difficult. He caught up to her and threw her to the ground and started stabbing her. He stabbed her 19 times, and when she stopped struggling, he seemed to lose interest and left her for dead. Yeah, you guys, she actually drug herself back to her car with 19 stab wounds, mind you. She got into her car and started driving. She actually was really struggling to start the car. She couldn't grip anything. She couldn't feel her hand for some reason but couldn't calculate what was going on, but she could not turn the engine. She couldn't start it. She somehow manages to start it. She somehow manages to start driving and she realizes that she's only a couple miles from her friend's house. So she's gonna try to get there. While she's driving, she realizes that she catches up to the attacker. So he is now driving in front of her. Oh my God. You guys, I, I literally can't. She gets to her friend's house She lays on the horn, but there's no response. She does it again, and there's still no response. She crawls out of the car, and as she's getting to the porch, her friend Robert opens the door and looks very confused, obviously. Not something you would normally see on your front porch late at night. And she says, Robert, call an ambulance. Some guy just stabbed the shit out of me. I don't know why, but I like that she said that. And then she realizes in horror that her attacker has turned around and is driving by the house very slowly. But then he speeds off. Oh my god. Her and her unborn baby survived the attack. She had a severed jugular vein, two collapsed lungs, a kidney laceration, a severed tendon in her right knee and her thumb, which is why she was unable to grip her Mm -hmm. car key to start her car. And most of her defensive wounds came from her trying to protect her stomach while she was being stabbed. The first thing she wanted to know when she woke up in the hospital was where her baby's stuffed animals were that had been lined up in her back seat. <laughs> her daughter was later diagnosed with cerebral palsy, which is a congenital disorder of movement and muscle tone or posture, and it's usually caused by an abnormal brain development that usually occurs before birth. Mm-hmm. So one of the theories is that this was actually caused by the attack. So she was able to give a general description and thought that her attacker was between 35 and 40. 
With sandy blonde hair that was thinning on the top. So despite a task force that had been formed, despite profiler help, Unsolved Mysteries even had a segment on this case, but it still went cold. So they had two composite sketches and multiple suspects, yet nothing. Nothing. Which, spoiler alert now, the case is still unsolved today. They do not know who committed these murders, which is crazy. Yeah. I'm really hoping that they have some DNA evidence in this case and that they can find this guy. Okay, so some issues that I have or differences that I have. I mean, I don't even know what you would call it. So we have three nurses. We have Bernice, Ellen, and Barbara. There's also a tentative connection for Eva, who had worked briefly as a nurse's aide. And Linda had been active in the hospital's auxiliary program in Vermont, but she was not a nurse, but had ties to a hospital. Which is strange. That's a lot of connection to nurses and hospitals. That's a lot of connections, right? On the flip side of that, we also have three hitchhikers. We have Mary and Eva, who are not nurses, and Bernice, who is. Mm -hmm. Right? So we're not just taking hitchhikers, and we're not just taking nurses. So I have a problem with that. Mary Elizabeth, or Betsy, was not a nurse, and more importantly, she was not stabbed and was traveling right through Gary Schaefer's hunting ground. And it was only a month before Teresa Fenton was killed by Gary Schaefer. So Gary Schaefer is another serial killer that was active in this area, Mm -hmm. and maybe we'll do a case on him. I have issue with that. The fact that she's not stabbed really bothers me. And the fact that she's in an area where an active serial killer is strangling women. The only problem with this and her being connected to Gary is that she was too old for his type. Right. So that's where I have an issue connecting her to Gary because Gary liked them young. Yeah. Like teenage young. So she's 37. So she's definitely too old for him. So which one's more important? Age? Or the way that they kill. I mean, I don't know. I feel like maybe she looked young. Maybe he didn't know. Maybe he just needed to kill somebody that day. Yeah. I don't know. But I have issue with that. Ellen Freed appeared to be sexually assaulted, which I put a big question mark after because we don't know why. Why was she? How? Yeah, what made her appear to be? We're not sure there was evidence of that. I think the only thing could be is she's missing her pants or something like that. And who knows about that? So that doesn't seem to fit. However, her body was found a thousand yards from Bernice. Which is really freaking close. So that's really close. So can she really be discounted from this group? I don't think so. Not with the geography of it. So also what we have an issue with is that Linda was 36, Barbara was 38, Mary was 37, and the rest of the women were in their 20s. With the exception of Bernice, who was 16. Yes. I do see some places where it says she was 17, but... Uh, well, we I, talked about her being 17 earlier. Yeah, so it, it, she's listed as both ages, so maybe she's okay, so about she's to have just, a birthday or just had a birthday. Yes, yeah, so she's know. young. She's young. Young. And then Barbara, so Barbara was at least a nurse, so she fit a little bit better. With the age difference, yeah. And then another thing is that Linda was killed in her home. I have a big problem with Linda, actually, being a part of this group. I The fact that she's killed in her home is very... A very different M.O. Like, 
Okay, say this killer is only about opportunity. Maybe he was hitchhiking, but we know he has a vehicle. He transports bodies. We know he has a vehicle. So, so I have a lot of issue with that unless the killer happened to live near her and mm-hmm. was fixated on her for some reason and couldn't resist the urge to kill her. That's the only way, I am sorry, that Linda fits in to this group. Yeah. My second issue that I kind of have, second, my fifth, whatever, how many issues we're on, Jane was never moved from her location. So she stabbed at her vehicle and she's left there for dead. I cannot understand why hers is different. And she's pregnant. I'm kind of thinking that maybe these cases, maybe some of them aren't connected. Or maybe there are two unsubs. Well, here's one thing that I will say about Jane. She fought and she ran, right? So say the plan is to get them out of the vehicle to get them out of the area and then kill them right because it seems like maybe that's what he did yeah but because she refused to go with him and she fought him maybe it pissed him off and that's why he killed her there that's the only thing i can think of that would make her fit in with that because he does say come with me she refuses and he's like well if you're gonna be like that and then he pulls out a knife so maybe his intention was to kidnap her that day but she wouldn't go with him yeah so that's the only way that jane really fits into it with me. She's at a gas station. So we have two that are taken or killed in gas stations, deserted ones. Yeah. We have some hitchhikers. We have some other people in their cars. We have a rest stop. So to me, it really sounds like somebody who maybe just cruises up and down these highways looking for opportunities. And that's what happens. Again, still have a problem with Linda being killed in her home. It doesn't seem to fit to me. Maybe he did live there. Maybe he lived by her. And maybe since, you know, all the neighbors watched her and everything, maybe he had a fascination with her. I really think that that could be something. He would have known when the kids were coming home from school. He would have known when the husband came home from work. Yeah. We do have a couple of suspects that have been commonly thrown into the mix. So suspect number one we have up is Delbert Tallman. He was 21. And on May 20, 1984... 16-year-old Heidi Martin went for a jog in Heartland, Vermont, and never made it home. The next day, her body was found in a swampy area behind Heartland Elementary. She had been raped and stabbed to death. Delbert confessed to the murder, although he later recanted his confession and was acquitted. Three years later, Barbara's body would be found only a mile from where Heidi was found. Um, Real close. Yep. So Delbert was later convicted in 1996 on two counts of lewd and lascivious conduct with a child. Completely separate. Completely separate. He was released from jail on October 6, 2010. So he would have been 25 when Jane was attacked. But remember, she thought her attacker might be between 35 and 40. Yeah. So I don't necessarily see him as a solid suspect In this case, if he is responsible for the murder of Heidi, she was raped and stabbed, which is not something that we've seen with the rest of the victims. Mm -hmm. I think geography is the only thing that really places her in the same, well, geography and the stabbing. But a mile could still not mean they're connected as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know about Delbert. Maybe he had something to do with it. Maybe not. Maybe Heidi was 
connected in some other way to the victims and he had nothing to do with it. Maybe it's an isolated incident. We really don't know. Next up, and this one's kind of a favorite, I think, of locals, is Henry Barker. And he lived in New Hampshire. Multiple people throughout the time of the investigation had actually called to report him as a potential suspect. Crazy. So you know that your neighbors don't like you when they're calling and saying, maybe this guy had something to do with it. So he was known by police, too. Yep. And he had lots of runs with the law. Someone reported him near where Barbara had died the night that she had died. Yeah. And then one woman had reported that he had given her a ride when her car broke down and he tried to force her to have sex with him. So he was suspected of other attacks on women. He was charged in many cases with picking up women who were hitchhiking and trying to force them into sex. He was found guilty and convicted of rape. He was known to use knives to scare women. Mm -hmm. And he was also known to go hunting. I mean, like, cruising along the highway for hours. Mm -hmm. And he was also known to rescue people whose cars had broken down. To do this, he carried an arsenal of tools to help him. Yeah, and he even had a citizen band radio, which is like a CB radio, I think. Something like that. Would be my guess. He had been sent to a mental institution for evaluation and was diagnosed as a psychopathic personality. So he would appear presentable at first and even charming. He would be unconcerned with rules or authority. He would be incapable of empathy and would have no remorse. After painstakingly tracking all of the movements, the night that Barbara was murdered, he was actually eliminated. So he just wouldn't have had time to do it between helping another motorist He is there when a tow truck gets there, I think. Like, they have him on record as being unable to commit this crime. Well, maybe he killed a different woman. Maybe he just didn't kill Barbara. You never know. So, next we have Richard Burdeau. And he was a local. People referred to his house as haunted. He also had an imaginary friend named Bertram. So, he's a little crazy. Yeah. And a waitress had been complaining to police about letters that he had been sending her. And when she didn't answer his letters, he started calling her. So that's how you, um, that right there is how you get women. You stalk them and give them creepy letters. Right? And then get mad at them when they don't respond to you. Jeez. He also lived not far from the site where Ellen's body was found. And a neighbor had seen him walking near the the area the night that she disappeared. Hmm. Interesting. But he was known to, like, wander around the river, in the trails, talk to himself, even Uh, occasionally wear... A tuxedo. A tuxedo. (laughs) I mean, you gotta look your best when you're out stalking women, I suppose. I mean, I guess. Right? So, this doesn't settle right with me. So, he had said, like, he told people that he had jogged right past where Ellen's body was found, and he hadn't smelled anything. Which he thought was weird. But why would you say that? Why would you be like, oh, uh, yeah, I didn't notice. Well, I mean, I think if you're a little off kilter, right, you might be like, that's weird. I never smelled her decomposing body and I ran by that area all the time. I mean, I I don't think it's that weird for somebody to think about that because I might wonder that if I was walking by or running by an area where I later found out there was a corpse. Yeah, but why would you be telling Well, I mean, that's that's a whole other story, right? Yeah. Okay, so this is an interesting fact. His mother 
was a nurse. She worked at Valley Regional Hospital. Interesting. There are even reports of him interacting with Ellen when she worked there. So his mom had been aware of his mental issues and had worked really hard to try to shield and protect him from people finding out about them. Which I feel like would be normal back then. It was a lot less accepted. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. He also had trouble holding down a job. And one time he even called a woman who lived near his house and told her, I've been watching you and I like your blue nightgown. She instinctively looked down at her blue nightgown. Yeah, creepy. Creepy. So we know these types of things like peeping can escalate and go into violent crimes and sex crimes and different things Turn like into that. into more, yeah, for sure. Next, we have Gary Westover. Yes. This one's kind of fun. So he's a 46-year-old paraplegic. So he's in a wheelchair. Yes. He's a m- murder suspect. Yes. Okay. Okay. That you don't see that one every day. Right? A little different. A little so, different. he confessed on his deathbed to being involved in the murder of Barbara. And only Barbara. Okay. So he said, I'm going to hell before he confessed to this crime. All right. He claimed that three other men had loaded his wheelchair into a van. They had abducted Barbara, killed her, butchered her, and dumped her body off of a back road. Police did not seem to take this very seriously. He did die shortly after his confession, so proving any of this would be kind difficult. Of, yeah. Yeah. Her family did think that she would have pulled over to help someone in a wheelchair, especially. Right. Makes sense. Because remember, she's the one that was at the rest stop, and they couldn't figure yes, out why she would why stop. Why she stopped at the rest stop mm-hmm. so close to home. But the thing is, is that Barbara wasn't reported to be butchered. Like, some of her bones were missing and things, but that was just assumed to be, like, environmental. Right. Also, having three people, well, four people, counting him, involved in a murder where nobody talks seems very unlikely to me. I mean, obviously, he talked, but... Having that many people in a crime, and usually people who commit crimes don't just commit one crime... So you think about, like, people getting, uh, like, 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 okay, just go on. I don't want to, I can't, like, 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 can't can't get my thoughts going on this one. Okay. There is a tangible threat to another suspect that he does have. So Gary was known to frequent the VA hospital, which is where he possibly could have met Michael Nicolau. Which is our next suspect. Which is our next suspect. Michael Nicolau. So this particular person of interest is a widely popular and widely controversial choice. I do personally have some issues with this particular suspect, but we're going to go through all of the facts and you guys can decide for yourself. I I mean, I don't know. Okay. So Michael Nicolau, he was abused as a child. Mm Mm-hmm. He had set his neighbor's car on fire. Yep. He was a former army helicopter pilot in Vietnam. He was known to leave the camp in order to hunt humans. Uh, Yeah, he was reported to go and engage in hand-to-hand combat in the middle of the night, basically with a knife by himself. With, like, the enemy? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Yep, cool, I guess. I, mean, if that's, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's what you're supposed to do. So he was charged with strafing civilians while in the army, which means to attack repeatedly. So he was charged with murder and attempted murder. 
So basically, he was discharged from the army based on behaviors he had mm-hmm. that they did not see. Yeah, these charges were later dropped. And when he did leave, he was diagnosed with PTSD. But he was forced to return home disgraced and bitter. But don't worry, guys. When he got back, he did open a sex shop called The Pleasure Chest. Yeah, I'm not sure when exactly he did that, but he does do that in his adult life. And one of the weird things about that is he was actually, it was raided twice by police, and him and his partner were charged with selling obscene materials, which... I want to know what obscene materials right means when you're dealing with like a sex shop. Like I mean, what? it has to be illegal obscene yeah, so materials. Yeah, so maybe like something like child pornography or some something, something right? It's got to be something. I don't even know. When he was arrested, he actually remarked to the press that evidently the police don't have enough serious robberies, murders, and rapes to occupy their time. Which mm-hmm. is a weird thing to say. That's- well, I think that's like a, I'm committing white-collar crime, if that's what it was. I'm assuming it's not. But he, whatever crime he's arrested of, he doesn't think is a big deal. So he's like, why are cops wasting their time when there's people being murdered out there? Which is kind of ironic, because we're talking about him being a murder suspect. Yeah. So, this is kind of a crazy story, and also kind of the reason I have my doubts about this suspect. Jane, the last victim who survived, Mm -hmm. she received a package in the mail from a private investigator named Lynn Marie Carty, and it was on Nicolau. Now, this private investigator had been hired by the mother of a woman named Michelle Ashley. She had a common-law marriage with Nicolau, and they had two children named Joy and Nick. But Michelle had disappeared in 1988. Yep. Leaving behind her children. Yes. So, and you all know how we feel about that. Yeah. I don't feel like most maternal figures, unless there's another thing like drugs or something involved. I think drugs is about the only thing. So her mother stopped by the house to check on her daughter. After weeks of no contact, she found spoiled food in the refrigerator. She found the family's abandoned baby book in the apartment. And it was vacant. No sign of any of the family. She had told her mother that if she ever goes missing, he killed me and you need to track him down for the kids. Which, I'm sorry, if you came home and told me that, there's no way I'd let you go back. No, definitely not. I'd be like, you and the kids are moving in with me and you're never going back to him. And no. What's the most dangerous time for a spouse that's being abused? It's when they try to leave. Oh, yeah. So if she was thinking about leaving him, she should not have gone back there. She had kept a baby book that helped the investigator identify where they'd been. Right, which is huge for getting clues to where the family traveled, where they lived, where they had spent time. Yeah. So in 2001, the investigator managed to find him and even had a brief phone conversation with him. And he said that his wife had run out on him with a drug dealer and that him and the children were fine. Yeah, and this was after he adamantly denied that he even knew who she was talking about, so... Then, the next day, the phone was disconnected. So according to her mother, Michelle had been planning on leaving him, but would never have run out on her children. Yeah, because why would you? While investigating, she discovered that he had spent time in New England, where Jane had been attacked. Mm. And it was around the same time that she had been attacked that the couple had gotten into a fight And Michelle had packed up with the kids and taken off. 
He had been driving up and down that same highway that Jane had been on. Looking for his wife. Yep. And remember what the man that attacked Jane said. Yeah, he accused her of beating up his wife. But who knows? Right. Or maybe he had hit her or beat her up and then that's why she had taken off and maybe he was just taking his anger out and trying to blame somebody else for it. Maybe they had similar cars or something. Man, I have no idea. It's so bizarre. So weird. Jane does say that she 100% thinks that this is her attacker? Yeah. After seeing a picture of him? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, we will yeah. never know from Nicolau himself. Because on December 30, 2005, he dropped his son off at a friend's house and told him, you'll always be my son. He would never see his father again. Correct. So he showed up at his wife's father's house. His new wife, right? Yeah. So he's remarried and he has a stepdaughter who's 21 Mm-hmm. And four weeks previous, he had broken his wife's shoulder and she had left him. So she was staying with her dad Yep. and had left him. So he shows up at her dad's house with a guitar case, which I'm sorry. Um, don't open the door to anybody no. that has a guitar case. No, run, because guaranteed there's a rifle in that guitar I case. I have a guitar and I don't take it around places with me. No. So unless you're expecting a serenade... That doesn't yeah. end in your death. Don't open the door. So there was a rifle in his guitar case. He did kill his wife and stepdaughter and then he had shot himself. And this makes me so mad because I feel like we'll never know. No, we won't. There are a couple things that link him back to... The original murders. The original murders, right? So All of them. They lived very close to Interstate 91 During the murders, though, he did live in Massachusetts, which, remember, one of the victims was last seen. In Massachusetts. Yes. They lived really close to Interstate 91, which is that interstate that we've seen a lot of this on. Um, His wife did have family in Vermont, though. Yep. So they had family in Vermont. So he had been to the hospital that two of the women were connected to. Yes. And obviously, he is believed to be responsible for the murder of his first wife as well, Michelle Ashley. Yeah, I mean, now he is. He had owned a Jeep Wagoneer in the 1980s. Which is the type of car that Jane had seen. Yep, and he lived in Virginia during three of the murders. Yep, so that's one of the things that bothers me. So when Bernice, Ellen, and Eva were murdered, he was living in Virginia, which is not near. But I also think that there... So if you're like us and you're not sure that all of these women are connected, maybe that doesn't matter. In 2007, police had announced that he was a suspect in a 1984 rape. Yeah, and this is kind of interesting. Because a man named Edward had served 10 years for the crime before DNA cleared him. Right, so Edward's been in jail for 10 years when I think the innocence... Like, he's always claimed he was innocent. And they retested the DNA and he was cleared, which is rough. And when you look at a picture of Nicolau and you look at a picture of Edward, unfortunately, unfortunately, very similar. They look a little similar. So that could be a possibility. I'm not sure though why they can't check Nicolai's confirm this. Yeah. Why can't they check Nicolai's DNA against anything? Right. Also, there are vials of Nicolai's blood. At the county medical office in Tampa Bay, Florida. Right. So if DNA was able to clear Edward, then why can't it 
include him. So, yeah, I don't know why he's a suspect in that, besides the fact that he near lived near the scene and looked kind of like the suspect. But also... Why can't they clear him then? Not only that, but maybe if they didn't have his DNA, which obviously they do because they have his blood, but why can't his son, like, do the DNA against, like, CODIS? Right. I, I feel like he should be able to be... Cleared. Cleared of that or not. Well, here's my thought. It's because they don't think he has anything to do with it, maybe. I mean, if they're looking at Nicolau and they're like, this is a crazy theory. They also have all these murders packed together as one. And since he can be cleared for multiple murders, I think that's why they say, no, he can't do it. They've got to have some sort of evidence on this case, right? We know they have fingerprints. Yeah. I don't or know. Or a fingerprint Something. from the car. So we don't know. We don't know how we feel about Nicolau. He, it's also been suggested that he might be the Colonial Parkway killer, the Route 29 stalker, the Blue Ridge Parkway rapist, uh, or be responsible for the murder of other women. P- women. Right. So I don't know. I feel like this might be an Israel Keys situation where it's like, if a murder can't be solved, it's maybe... It's Israel Keys. And I've said it jokingly many times on this podcast. It's, 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 but... It's kind uh, of possible. It's kind of possible. I mean, you just never know. But so. also, like, some serial killers really do kill that many people. Like, it really happens. Right, but when you have multiple MOs and all of that, it's harder it's for hard. me to... Well, yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So the argument is, is somebody trying to hop onto a high-profile case with their theories? Yeah. Or could he actually be good for this? Because I could see it either way. I could see it being he has absolutely nothing to do with that. Or I could even see it as maybe he did do it. Or at Mm -hmm. least stabbed Jane. There are other people who have also been, their names have been tossed around a little bit. There was a man named Michael Bruce Ross who strangled six women in Connecticut. I've never even heard of him. I'll have to look him up. There's a local named Robert Dirsch that's been thrown into the mix. Gary Schaefer's been thrown into the mix. So he operated from 79 to 83. Okay. In kind of the similar area. He liked his girls younger, though. He liked his girls younger. And we talked about that with one of the victims where we were like, maybe, but she's too old for him. So Gary Schaefer liked his girls between the age of 10 and 18. That's a little bit younger than most of our victims. Right, so his youngest victim was 11, and his oldest victim was 17. And we're not even sure that if he's responsible for all the victims that have been pinned towards him either. Yeah. So for him, and we won't go into all of his victims, but they were all strangled, yeah. not stabbed. Um, another sort of strange thing is Lois Chappelle. Remember the episode that we did on her? She was in the... It was our episode 12. Yeah, episode 12, Isolation Mountain. Yeah. She was stabbed to death and her killer has never been found. And it was in the same... The same area as the rest of this. So that's kind of interesting. Hers was a little after. It's a later murder for sure, but... My point is, there's no shortage of people running around stabbing people in this this area. Yeah, There are a lot of unsolved murders that -hmm. can be linked to this area. Uh, Molly Bish was one of them. She's that 16-year-old lifeguard that went missing 
And then her remains were found about a half mile away from where she disappeared. Joanne Dunham, who was 14 years old, and on June 11, 1968, and this is in Charleston, New Hampshire, she'd been waiting at the bus stop on the last day of school. The only real link for her is geographical, right? Because she was sexually assaulted. She was strangled. She is in a nice age range for Gary Schaefer, though. I don't know. She disappeared less than a mile from where Eva Morse had disappeared, and her body was found less than a mile from where Eva's was found. I feel like she could fit in with Gary because of her age, but she could fit in with any of them because of her geographic. But that is still unsolved today. Sylvia Gray was a 76-year-old from Plainfield, New Hampshire, and she was found bludgeoned and stabbed to death in a wooded area. Maybe Israel Keys? Maybe Israel. Sorry. It's not funny, you guys. But, I mean, I literally... He didn't care about age. He didn't care. Victims of opportunity all the way for Israel Keys. But who kills a 76-year-old? I I mean, come on. Okay. We have Sarah Hunter, who was 36. So she was a pro golfer in Manchester Center, Vermont. On September 10th, 1986, her car was discovered at a gas station off Route 7A. Two months later, her remains were found in the brush on the edge of a cornfield in Paulette, Vermont, and she was strangled. Yep, so she doesn't fit the ammo of, no. of any of them. But still same, like, geographic area. Yeah. And then Stephen Hill, so our first male, he was 38 years old. He disappeared on June 20th, 1986 from Lebanon, New Hampshire, His body was found stabbed to death in Heartland across the Connecticut River from where Sylvia Gray had been found four years earlier. On June 24, 1988, decomposed body parts were found of a woman dumped in Warwick, Massachusetts, less than a mile from the border of New Hampshire. Only the arms and legs were there. The torso and head have still never been found. And the women's identity... Is still unknown. Yeah. That's crazy. I guess that's why they took the head and torso. But still, I I hate the fact that there are unidentified people out there whose, and, yeah. fam- whose families are probably still looking for them. Crazy. So this woman is described as white, average height with an athletic body from what they can see of her. I mean, yeah. arms and legs decomposing. I'm not sure how they even came up with that. I don't know. There's also Carrie Moss, who was 14 years old, from New Boston, New Hampshire, and on July 25, 1989, she left her parents' home to visit a friend and disappeared. Two years later, on July 24, 1991, her remains were found in a wooded area in New Boston. Her cause of death is still unknown. An interesting thing happened in 2017, and I am reluctant to connect this, and I'll tell you why, but... On May 24, 1989, so in our time frame, mm-hmm. a 16-year-old named Jessica Briggs was murdered in Portland, Maine, on Portland's Maine State Pier. She was stabbed to death and her throat was slashed. She was then thrown into the water. A man named Anthony Sanborn Jr. has served 27 years for committing this crime. And he still maintains his innocence. Yeah, he was her boyfriend at the time. He was convicted when he was 16 years old. There's no physical evidence that links him to the scene. The murder weapon was never recovered. It was basically two eyewitnesses 
who sealed his fate. So one was a woman who, so she had seen the murder. So she saw him stab her and throw her into the water, but later confessed that she was never at the pier and that she was legally blind and wouldn't have actually been able to see it anyway from the distance that she was standing. So she didn't come forward right away. She came forward years later, a month before the trial started as a witness. That's so weird. So she was the prosecutor's star witness. And then his roommate at the time, his friend, had said that he confessed to the murder to him. So those are the two reasons he was put in jail, basically. The roommate claims that he had asked Jessica for money and that she'd said no, so he killed her. Yeah, that's what he told him, allegedly. So he was actually released on bail in 2017 due to the compelling evidence suggesting that he was innocent while his post-conviction appeal was reviewed. Okay. At the conclusion of this review, they came to an agreement. The defense would withdraw their post-conviction petition and they would agree to time serve. This means his conviction would stand, but he would go free. So originally he is sentenced to 70 years in jail. It's crazy to me that that's... Like, there's no physical evidence or murder weapon or anything, and he was... Yeah, I'd like to be in that convicted courtroom. But... 70 years over what one person said. Well, according... And that's according to the defense, right? I I don't know what actual evidence there was. I don't know what actually happened during the trial. I don't know what was said or not said. But still. Crazy, right? So, there are profilers that are suggesting that the Connecticut River Valley killer might be responsible for her death because I mean, of her stab fits. because of her stab wounds kind of so yeah this is a couple hours up the coast from where the rest of the murders have taken place maybe he was on a family vacation there's water there's a dock they're on a dock there's no it's not secluded it's not I don't really see it. I think that that's a reach, but that is one of the things that I definitely read about. And they Mm -hmm. also suggested that the Connecticut River Valley killer might be responsible for the murder of Angela Thomas, which happened in Brunswick, which is really close to Portland. It's hours away. I don't really see it being connected. It doesn't quite fit for me, but I don't know. I wonder what we don't know. What evidence? I think there's a lot, actually. I think that there's a lot of evidence that maybe isn't being released or a lot of things. There's also a lot of wild rumors out there. A lot of locals say that all of the women had broken jaws, which I've never seen that anywhere. I've never seen that in any official report or news story. But it's a rumor that's out there. Is it because that's real and the police are withholding that? Or is it just... Wild, crazy speculation. I have no idea. And I know we've had a little more tangents at the end of this, kind of going off on things, but there is a lot of speculation and we speculate as well. And we have doubts as well. So they did interview hundreds of people. They brought in all known sex offenders and polygraphed them. They put suspects under constant surveillance. Psychics came forward. Yeah, and we see this in a lot of cases where psychics come forward and they get involved. So a lot of citizens actually called to report their neighbors, family, and friends on suspicions that they were the murderer. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Imagine your family calling and being like... Well, and I think part of that too is when a community lives in fear for that long, yeah, you start to really suspect anyone. We're going to read you guys one of the profiles that was... Actually, Marie's going to read you the profile. <laughs> Maddie's not. She struggles because with small writing and I'm big words. I'm not even going to try <laughs> to mess with that big paragraph right there. I want nothing to do with that. Right? So this came out of the book, The Hunt for the Connecticut River Valley Killer. It's called Shadow of Death by Philip Ginsberg. Great book, by the way. I don't know. I didn't read it. Maddie didn't read it. But it's a great book. It has a lot of information about these murders in it and theories in it. It's a really good book, especially if you want more information or more insight into this killer. But basically the profile is this. He is white between 25 and 39. A younger man would not appear so controlled experienced. An older one would have been caught or perhaps shifted to another pattern or even stopped killing. The range was typical for this type of crime. His familiarity with the back roads, the woods, suggests that he lives nearby, say within 25 miles of Claremont. He cruises the roads and his range may extend further than that. The sporadic timing of these killings suggests that he may leave the area at times if he is employed, which is likely, it could be in sales or service, or in a business that has several branches or offices in the area. He looks normal, not strange or threatening. He is well-groomed and dresses neatly. He is strong in good physical condition. He engages in regular physical activity, but it is something he can practice alone, like jogging, hiking, or weightlifting. He collects something as a hobby, coins, stamps, or baseball cards. Interesting. And he goes to church, though his attendance may be sporadic. So if this sounds like anybody that you know who lived in the area, this case is still unsolved. So go ahead and give them a, a ring. But yeah, I mean, that's basically the story of the Connecticut River Valley Killer. Now that you have the facts or the opinions of professionals, we'd love to know what you guys think. Yeah, let us know. Maddie, what are your thoughts? I think that there is more than one killer in this case. Okay. I think there's either two or three. I think that Jane was stabbed by Nicolau. I could see that. I think the strongest piece of evidence for that for me would be her saying that she thinks he's her attacker. I do think, though, that people's perception of trauma can definitely be thrown off especially if you go a decade or two without true it is true you know what i mean yeah you you change that monster in your head so many times Mm -hmm. with strangers you see on the street with people that make you uncomfortable Uh, so i i'm not so sure about that personally i'm not so sure about nicolau i think that he's a piece of crap and i think that yeah he probably killed his first wife and his and we know he killed his second so I think that he is a good suspect because he's a shitbag, not necessarily because there's any evidence yeah, that he's I, connected. Maybe Nicola was responsible for some of the murders when he lived, you know, the ones he can't be discounted for, the three girls. I'm just not sure that he reads as a serial killer. Maybe. Yeah, but I don't really think that. I think that at least there are two different, with the, the main seven women, I think that there are two different killers. I think that there's at least two. As well. 
Yeah, and strangulation versus stabbing really bothers me. I feel like if they are all one killer, then it's crime of opportunity, and he's choosing them based on his ability to get to them unseen. But I think that he took unnecessary risks if it's all the same killer. Yeah. Uh, But let us know what you guys think. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to hear. Are the nurses related? Are the hitchhikers related? Are none of them related? Are all of them related? I mean, we really, we're really curious what you guys all think. Yeah. And I would love to know what evidence they have in this case. Because if they did not collect any DNA from any of the... Because with Linda and with Jane, I feel like there's no excuse for there to not be DNA or some sort of evidence. Right? Yeah. Because Linda was killed in her house, so evidence contained. And Jane was found immediately and still alive. So they have an eyewitness and they should have DNA. Also, they have a victim they said had signs of sexual assault. So, so what was is no that? DNA. Exactly. What is that? I feel like it would have been too long for DNA anyway. So I, exactly. I, I would like to see the actual file on this case. Yeah. I would be curious. I would be very curious to see what they collected. Yep. But yeah, let us know what you guys think. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming back two weeks in a row. Yes. Thank you for letting us take a week off. You guys are amazing. I'm glad we're done with this two-parter. We'll be back to one-parters again. Yes. Yeah. And if you have time, leave us a review. Uh, Post us on your story. Post us on your story. All right. Thanks, you guys. And we'll see you next week. Yes, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye, guys. Phoenix, shut there. Phoenix, shut there. Opening the door, jumping on the cushion. What are you doing? Come here. What does the red light mean? On the microphone. What's it mean? That it wants you to speak in it. (sighs) No, it means that we're recording. I mean, I guess she's not wrong. Yeah. Okay. So what are you not supposed to do when we're recording? Come downstairs. Coming downstairs and annoying you. (laughs) Yes. Okay, who do you think the Connecticut Valley River Killer is? I don't know. How many killers do you think there are? Two. You think it's two? I think it's three. Whoa. Whoa, that's a lot. I think it's three different murderers that have all been combined and they are just coincidentally in the same. That's a lot. Three is a lot. I know. Three is a lot, Maddie. Three is a lot. Okay, back upstairs. I'm like deaf in one ear right now. I like ruptured my eardrum. So every time my mom yells, I like have to plug my ears or else my ears start to ring. Oh yeah, I edited it out, you guys. But I do some yelling when we're down here and the kids are being loud upstairs. I'm like, don't make me come up there. I like like the dark cherries though. I think they're my favorite. I like the lighter ones. They're better. I disagree. It's like light apples versus dark apples. No. No, this is more different than dark apples versus light apples. I don't think so. Yeah. No. It's not. It's literally exactly the same thing. Dark cherries taste different. It's more like Dark apples taste different. It's more like comparing red grapes to green grapes or purple grapes to green grapes. I would call that the same thing. They're all three the same thing. I don't think so. I think apple. How, why, why are cherries different? Why do they stand out on their own? Well, they don't. I think they're more like grapes. If you were compared dark grapes to light grapes, I think it's more that kind Why of are apples different? Because I don't think that, I mean, it changes like the flavor, but like apples, it's like you have so many different kinds of apples. You can't like just compare dark to light because then you have dark, light, Okay, then green. red to green. Okay, you can compare that then, but you can't compare <laughs> light to dark apples. 
I don't know. Okay, I, you're crazy. You're crazy. It By the way, sense. are you a dark or a light fruit person? Because apparently it's a thing. I don't think you're one specific person. I don't know. I like the light of all of those. I like purple grapes. I like dark cherries. And I, I don't like green apples. See? So it is a thing. I don't love green apples either, though. I prefer like the yellow radish apples. I just don't like red, red apples. And I don't... I'm fine with red, red apples. Or like lighter Yeah, so you're apples. a dark fruit. Apparently, I don't know. Is it a thing? Apparently it's a thing. We're making it a thing. Tell us if you like the dark or the light fruit. We're curious now. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess. All right. You'll find something on our story. We'll do a poll Ooh, once this episode comes yes. out. We're going to do a poll. So we need you guys to vote. And it's going to be light fruit or dark fruit. And we understand that maybe some of them you like more or less. But we're, we're the poll is going to be on three things, right? Grapes, apples, and cherries. So you have to go with the majority. So say you like green grapes, but you like dark cherries and dark apples. Then you would do dark or vice versa, right? Yeah. So go with the majority. We're going to do a poll. All right. Finals, who wins? Who wins? This is a competition. I think that dark fruits are... Life is a competition. (laughs) I think that dark fruits are sweeter. That's why I don't like them as much. I feel like the green grapes and I feel like the lighter cherries are more sour than sweet. And I feel like the darker ones are sweeter versus sour. I'd rather have sweet fruit than sour fruit. Well, I don't think it's like really sour, but I prefer my my fruit to be less sweet. You got to finish that cherry, dude. I'm not eating the whole thing. It has a huge bruise. Oh, it does? Okay. I'm being very dramatic. Okay. I am dramatic. So be looking for our poll. It's coming. Here, can I see some cherries? No. 